Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. I'll be reading from 1 John 1.8. If, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I want to wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day, and even some of the mothers who've had to be both mother and father. Uh, I usually don't preach Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons, and if you've been here, you know uh, that I don't do that, mainly because, you know, for everyone, it's not as great a day as it may be for some of us. But I was, I was reading something the other day, and it was ranking all the holidays of America. Now, Mother's Day was number two. You go, that's pretty good. The first most popular holiday is Christmas. So you're like, okay, Jesus, then mothers. That makes sense. Now, Father's Day was 20. I can't think of 18 other holidays that we have on the calendar. Uh, Columbus Day was like 12. I'm like, that's odd. And, uh, Halloween was six. So I'm like, well, okay then. So uh, make it special. Let, let your dad know you're not number 20. You're number one to me, at least. The very least we could do. Um, Jacob told us this morning that there were seven baptisms at camp this last week. That's great. And uh, Tyler and Keeley are now under hills together. Uh, that was a beautiful ceremony. Real nice. So God is good. Oh, you weren't expecting it, were you? I know. And all the time... When our daughter was very little, and as a little girl, you know, mama likes to put little girls in dresses. Well, from the time she was very little wearing dresses, we would try to teach her proper dress-wearing etiquette. Uh, so that when you're in a dress, you sit, you put your legs down, you know. Because kids, when they sit, they plop and they just, I don't know, they sit however they want to. Well, and I remember one time we were with a bunch, we were with family and, and I was like, okay, honey, put your legs together, put your legs down, you know, make sure your dress covers your legs and pull it down and all that. And of course, Stephanie's nanny, she just, bless her heart, she just said, oh, she's just a kid, you know, and I'm like, well, yes, she is. Uh, you know, when she's three years old, you're like, it's, you know, it's no big deal. It's innocent. But what about when she turns nine or 15? Right, so our thinking was always start with them when they're as little as possible, and then as they age, it'll just be something that's natural. So, okay, you're, what is toxic positivity? It's actually a real thing. The psychology group defines toxic positivity as the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. The process of toxic positivity results in denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. Just like anything done in excess, when positivity is used to cover up or silence the human experience, it becomes toxic. 
By disallowing the existence of certain feelings, we fall into a state of denial and repressed emotions. The truth is, humans are flawed. We get jealous, we get angry, we get resentful, we get greedy, and by pretending that we are positive vibes all day, we deny the validity of a genuine human experience. Now, I like being upbeat, I like being positive, I like to encourage and to be encouraged, but the reality is there are things in our lives that definitely cannot be spun into a positive light. Now, okay, some of this is going to be personal opinion, and you may disagree with me on it, and that's, that's fine, because it's not doctrine. But uh, Emmett wants to preach this morning, and that's all. Let, he's just fine. We love it. The, uh, but one of my mentors used to say, if you don't, well, he'd say, if you don't hear crying, the church is dying. But in this regard, he's like, I can do better than that guy. That's fine. But when, one of, when our children, only one time has one of our children been given what I call a participation trophy. I don't know what your thoughts are on those. But if they're any different than mine, you're really not going to like what I have to say. But I do not like participation trophies. You either win or... You, I got an amen. How, that's a miracle. I have to usually drag them out. But you either win or you lose. And if you lose, there's nothing wrong with losing. It just means, okay, we're going to train harder. We're going to get better. But I remember one of our children getting these, this participation medal, and I looked at my wife, and it, her eyes said it all. Her eyes said, don't you say a thing. Just take it. And I was like, mm, you know. And so we had a discussion about that. And, of course, we explained to our kid that, uh, okay, it's, it's nice that you have that. You tried hard. You did a good job. But you didn't win, so, you know, so we tried to explain it, and I said, okay, I'll let it slide this time, but we're not going to do this again. No participation trophies. Um, that's just not how life is played. When you're small, just like when we started with Bree going, okay, let's pull your dress down, put your legs together, put your legs down. You know, teaching her how to be a young lady, we also want our children when they're younger, or at least we did, uh, you know, there are consequences, if you train hard, you play hard, and you win, we're, man, we're happy. If you train hard and you lose, it doesn't mean that you're a loser. It just means, hey, what can we do better? Self-improvement. We're going to get better. It's not the end of the world to lose. But there are also some emotions that we shouldn't deny ourselves because they're actually good for our formation. As a matter of fact, all of us when we were children, if we did something that displeased our parents... Usually we got a look or we got a talking to or whatever the case is. The shame we felt from that made us want to do better. I would have much rather my mama whoop the stew out of me than to look me in the eye and say, you have let me down. Or you have disappointed me. Right? You feel that a lot different than you do a belt or whatever your mama would whoop you with. But here, let me show you. These are real examples. And this is recently... Uh, in the New York City subway, there is an ad, and it's about fentanyl usage. Now, fentanyl is a very, very strong drug. As a matter of fact, it's what they give to people that are dying. Is that right? It, at times, and it's, it's to help take away the pain. But in the ad, it says, don't be ashamed you're using. Be empowered that you're using safely. So this is, an, in my opinion, an, uh, an example of toxic positivity. Now, who among us that have ever had 
someone in our lives that we love that, is an, that has been an addict, how many times have we ever encouraged them in their use or in their addiction? If anything, we, we go, let, let me help you. Let me get you some help, right? We don't, and, but, but this, what is it saying? Oh, don't feel bad that you're using. Just feel empowered. And that's the thing. Our society, feel empowered about every single thing that you do, no matter how right or wrong that it is. But this is a prime example of where shame can come in handy. And I know you don't like, oh, I just, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to feel bad. don't want to make someone else feel bad. You know, sometimes people need to be made to feel bad. Think about it this way. One of the motivating factors that caused you and me to become a Christian was the ugly reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And in or, we can't go, oh, you're just, you're a trier. You try real hard and you just fall. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even that is a bad word that people use today that nobody likes to hear. Here's another example from San Francisco. No overdose. Do it with friends. Use with people and take turns. Try not to use alone. Or have someone check on you. Another example of toxic positivity where people are made to feel better about something that is very harmful and destructive. I believe this one may have been uh, with regard to not uh, fentanyl, but uh, maybe cocaine or some other drug. And, and, and so, you know, I get where they're coming from. I think they're compassionate. They feel bad for people in these states, as we all should. But there's nothing positive about this. It cannot be made positive. Nor can society or anyone say about a sin, it's okay, it's positive. As a matter of fact, there was a book that I was reading. Uh, James Shaw was the philosopher. I want you to listen to what he says. Sin has always been an ugly word, but it, is made, it has been made so with a new sense over the past half century. It has been made not only ugly, but passe. People are no longer sinful. They are only immature or underprivileged or frightened or more particularly sick. Sin includes will, and such words as sick or immature are usually employed to prevent us from seeing that sin cannot be fully explained by anything else but will. Now, the first part of that really got me. I'm like, yeah, the, the, think of the words that are used. Immature, sick, underprivileged, you know, all these words people will use in order to take the sting away from the reality of humanity. But when you boil it down, if we're to believe what God says about it, it, in many cases, is sin. And so this is why 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In the 12-step program, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Now, you can talk to people that have been through uh, recovery programs and those that have been successful at maintaining their sobriety have worked really really hard at it but they will still tell you even in their sobriety I am an addict 
They don't say, I've been cured. They don't say, I'm all better. They say, I am an addict. Because if they ignore the reality of what they contend with, they know they may fall back into it. And we should be willing to say, in light of God's Word, the same, I am a sinner. But we don't like to say that, do we? We would much rather say, I'm underprivileged, I'm sick, I'm immature. But when you boil it down, we are sinners. Now, you may not like it, but when we admit the fact that we are sinners, it really makes grace so special. Because think about it, God takes us when we're at our lowest, when we're at our worst, when we could never measure up. And he says there, I love you. And I want to rescue you from the grips of sin. But if sin isn't fleshed out, the sacrifice of Christ is meaningless. So with toxic positivity, one thing we have to own up to is that toxic positivity denies the truth about ourselves. James wrote, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Here's what we don't want to confess. I don't want to confess that I have desires that are sinful. And you don't want to confess it either, but that's the reality. We are tempted when we're drawn away by our desires. Some versions say lusts. And we're enticed. And then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when that is full grown, it brings forth death. The word desire here, you could translate it as craving. Craving. We understand that. Some of you right now are craving something to eat. You're, you probably already at some point during worship said, where are we going to eat after this? Some of you made those plans yesterday. I'm craving coffee. I don't drink coffee before I come to church anymore because if you think I'm a little hyper now, whew, it'll be over if I drink coffee. But we understand the idea of craving. Now, we do desire bad things, but we can also be made to desire good things. Anybody like to fish? Austin, yeah. There's like two of you. Amy, thank you. A few honest people. Well, um, I remember when I was a kid, we'd go fishing. Daddy always loved to bass fish. And that's fine by me. I just like catching fish. I didn't care what it was. But we would use... I hope I'm not giving away a family secret like bushes, beans, or anything, Dad. But we would use Zoom worms and the Zoom jig. And you had to find the right place. So you'd cast out and you'd... Daddy told me, he's like, all right, real slowly, lift the tip up, let it down, real slowly lift up. And, you know, we'd catch bass left and right because we knew that's what they loved. Now, if you think for one second that Satan doesn't know how to lure you and me, you're sorely mistaken. He, we, just as we knew those bass love those zoom worms and jigs, Satan also knows what you and I love and want, and he knows how to use it too. In the ancient Greece, the temple of Delphi, there was an inscription as you approach the temple and it said, know thyself. 
That's what we need to come to realize. And Paul, I want you to think about Paul. He was, he, he, he was very faithful as much as he thought he could be. He followed the law when some of his Jewish brethren were becoming followers of Jesus. Paul acted like Elijah the prophet. He acted like Phineas the priest. He saw it as his divine mission to go and to set these wandering Jews straight, those that had wandered from the law, from the temple and everything. And on his road, on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he sees this vision of the Lord. He's blinded. He falls down. And for three days as he's traveling, he's doing nothing but probably meditating. I assume that's what he was doing given how religious he was. And then he's told the gospel. Then he's baptized. Then he sees again. And he spends some time in, I guess you could say, isolation. And then from there, he goes preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has the Holy Spirit. He can heal people. He can drive out demons. He can raise the dead. And this guy who had a more intimate relationship with the Lord than what I feel I have says, I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but to perform what is good I do not find. Now if a guy that was that close to the Lord had the abilities that he had, had seen what he had seen, and in 2 Corinthians he essentially tells us of a story of where he saw into heaven. He said, I saw things, well he didn't say I, but he says, there are things that saw that cannot be uttered on the earth. That guy says there's nothing good that dwells within me. Meanwhile, sometimes we Christians walk around arrogantly saying, look how good I am. Look at the good that I've done. And it's because we don't want to face the reality that is our human condition. So toxic positivity denies the truth about ourselves, but it also ignores the human condition. And that is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have those desires that give birth to sin and, and we become sinners. And then if we deny the truth about ourselves, we fail to know ourselves and essentially say, God sent His Son to the earth for no reason at all. He died for no reason at all. And everything that Jesus did is meaningless. I just can't come to make those statements. When you think about God's love, you think about Him sending His Son and everything that Christ endured. you got to be willing to confess, if I'm right and the Lord is wrong, then Jesus was some kind of lunatic who thought He was doing good. Or maybe He was a liar, because you think of all the things that He said, and then what He did... He really didn't believe in. Or, there's a third option and maybe a fourth. Or he really was the Lord. Now most of us have chosen the latter of the three. We don't believe he was a lunatic. We don't believe he was a liar. We believe that he is in fact Lord of heaven and earth. Toxic positivity can also overlook the possibility of change. It is possible for people to change. As much as we have desired the bad things, we can desire good things. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he said, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. 
For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Okay, let's say you do something bad. And let's say somebody somehow points it out. And then you feel bad about it. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. All right. That's well and fine. But if you go and repeat it, were you really sorry to begin with? And let's say you keep on repeating it. Your sorry becomes meaningless. But let's say that you and I do something we shouldn't do and we're confronted with the reality of what we shouldn't have done and then we make change. That's the difference between uh, the sorrow of the world. That'll make you feel sorry. But godly sorrow makes you feel sorry to the point that you're going to change. Does it mean you'll be perfect? No, absolutely not. But it means that you're going to make the effort to go this way away from whatever that was. Now, if we believe that Scripture is inspired of God, we have to believe what Scripture reveals about us. Look at this passage, would you? Jeremiah 6.15, the sins of Judah had gotten to a point, and I've got a specific part of this verse underlined. Jeremiah asked, were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No. They were not at all ashamed. Look at this next part. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall at the time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Nor did they know how to blush. What is the purpose of blushing? Embarrassment? When are we embarrassed? When should we be embarrassed? When we've done wrong things, at least in this case? But could you imagine a people so blatant that they just sin and it has no effect? No effect whatsoever. And we're not talking about people who don't know God. We're talking about people who know God. But they have forgotten how to blush. So when you look at the fact that we desire things that we shouldn't, that we're sinners, and that we have the capacity to change, we have to measure what needs changing by Scripture. Now, society and institutions and pundits and thinkers and politicians, they may want to present the sinful in a positive way. But if we listen to what God has to say, it may not necessarily be positive. And despite how bad it may be, the light, of God, the light of God shines through the darkness in Jesus Christ. And so if, even if we were to swing the pendulum and go from this toxic positivity to this horrific negativity, the truth of the matter is that Jesus died for sins. He died to rescue us from sins. When we own up to the fact that I am a sinner and we think, what is there to do? God says, you don't have to do it. Jesus has already done it on the cross. Really? Yeah. You have faith and you obey the Lord. And when we look at the reality of ourselves, you know, when you think about what a person deserves, have you ever made the statement, they got what they deserved? I think probably all of us have made that statement at some point. 
Maybe it was something that we saw on the news or whatever the case is. Uh, <laughs> we used to say you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Right? You know, so sometimes you get what you got coming. But I'm glad God doesn't deal with us that way. What if we got what we deserved? I don't think I'd want it. But instead, what God gives is grace. Instead, what God offers is His Son. And what He wants is that we have faith in that Son. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That we repent of our sins. That we're buried with Christ in baptism. And that we live to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, putting to death the works of the flesh. So... I hope at, at, at the end of this, you, you see this really wasn't that negative of a sermon to begin with, but it was pointing out the truth about ourselves so that it can magnify the goodness of God in light of our truth. And we shouldn't dilute the truth. We shouldn't try and spin it to make ourselves feel better. If anything, we look to the good news of the kingdom of God and we see everything that God did and we go, though I am wretched... God is great because He gives me His grace. He gives me His mercy. He doesn't give me what I deserve. God is good. And though nothing good may dwell in us, we can rely on Him. If you have never professed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never put on Christ in baptism and repented of your sins, I want to urge you to seriously think about it and to do it. Maybe you have only been given the sorrow of the world. You feel bad about it, but you've not really changed. Well, have the godly sorrow that produces repentance, that leads to actual change. So I told, and they may be watching, I don't know, uh, Bree, John Wayne, if you're watching, I'm about to tell a tale on you. But I told the church Wednesday night that, you know, my daughter's boyfriend, uh, that's hard to say. I don't like saying that. But I will say he's a, he's a good guy. But he has faith and wants to be buried with Christ in baptism. The thing is, where they are in Eastern Europe, they do not have access to a body of water deep enough. Now, there's a pond nearby, but apparently one of the other soldiers had done something there and became very sick. So, like, yeah, we want him to be saved. We don't want him to get sick. But you and I, we think, wow, there's a place in the world that doesn't have something to baptize someone in that's you know, won't make them sicker than a dog? Well, that's what they're facing right now. So... I keep praying about that. I want y'all to keep praying about that too. Um, they, <laughs> the chaplain offered to sprinkle him. Bree said, we don't do that. <laughs> because in the scriptures, Romans 6.3, Colossians 2.12, baptism is a burial. We are buried with Christ. And I, I, I pray that a solution will be found there. But I will tell you here, there's no such obstacle. If you don't want to do it in front of the assembly, I know people can be shy and you don't want everybody looking at you. 
Uh, I, I get that. That doesn't mean that this is the only time you can do it. So if you love the Lord, if you want to be saved, don't let anything hold you back. Let us know. We'll minister to you in your needs. But if you wish to respond publicly before this congregation, you can do so and come to the front while we stand together and sing.